Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The word of God. Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm inviting my friend Paul here as we continue our highlight on the Junction Sunday. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a thing we don't talk about a ton in the church, the notion of covenant. And the idea that in covenant with God, we understand more of our relationship with God. And uh, Paul's deeply involved with his work at the Junction. I've asked him to share a little bit, and then we'll continue on in our message. But first, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the moments ahead. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts. But we want to be formed as your people. So please teach us now in the moments ahead what it means to be in a covenant relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. The title today, as we continue our constant sermon series, is Covenant, that we're made for relationship. And Paul, you're, you're deeply involved at the junction. Uh, you're kind of a chair of our chaplains program. And I just have one question here. As um, a relationship expert that travels the country working with people's marriages and as a speaker, um, you spend a good deal of time at the junction. Why is that? Uh, it's the word relationship. Simply put, and yet very, very complex. Um, and that's what I want to take a couple of moments to talk about. First of all, I want to offer a couple of quick illustrations outside of the context of the junction, and then want to talk more specifically about relationships there. So first outside. Uh, in the last few days, I've had the privilege of talking with a young woman who lives and works in New York City. And the reason that I have had a chance to talk with her about a relationship she's in is, first of all, because I ended up in her family's home in Fort Lauderdale, and the reason I did that was because of a college roommate whose wedding I did in Minnesota, and the reason for that was because of two people who'd gone through a divorce and decided they wanted something different as they went for number two. It's complicated. Most relationships are complicated wherever you find them. A second one has to do with the fact that, Lord willing, tomorrow morning, fairly early, I'm going to hop on an airplane and I'm going to head to Portland, Maine. And in the context of the days that I'll be there, I anticipate talking with a man whose wife now lives in a nursing home because of Parkinson's. And I expect our conversation will have things around sadness and loneliness. I'm going to be with another couple, and the woman in this couple drives to Boston regularly in order to receive chemotherapy for an eye cancer that she's struggling with. They live with great uncertainty. Now, this isn't an ideal time for me to go to Portland, Maine. It's inconvenient in some ways, but aren't relationships often inconvenient? And you live with uncertainty. And certainly they are. These are people that I went to high school with. Last year was our 50th reunion, and I got a call not long ago asking, when am I coming back? I'm not sure what that means. I could go back and spend quite a bit of time alone. But relationships are full of those kinds of invitations. Now, all of these that I've talked about so far, outside of the context of the junction. 
But in the midst of that, I'm invited to be in a covenant with these people, a coming together where I have the privilege of sharing with them grace, respect, care, mercy, that I'm learning from Christ either directly or indirectly. Now, step into the context of the junction. And I could talk to you about Bob, who in the first service was seated right over here. We've prayed a lot together. Or I could talk about Elizabeth, the privilege of our friendship that was formed because of the junction. Or I could talk about Alexandra and how we gather there to try and figure out the best way to get the most people medical and dental coverage. Or Alex. Alex, who has just started graduate school and is now trying to discern what's God's call in his life. Or Lindsay, who serves there at the junction graciously and persistently over and over. Or Thomas, who lives in a wheelchair. And because of the fact that our bodies are a little different, perhaps, from a lot of people in some ways, we have connected. Or Zale. Zale, who I met at the junction, but now we've had the privilege of worshiping here. All of these people are complicated and sometimes inconvenient. And sometimes there's great uncertainty, but it's about the privilege of relationships. Relationships that make demands, relationships that bruise, and relationships that bless. What a privilege it is to feel that sense of being compelled to be there coupled with the wonder of the blessing that comes. So let's learn more about covenant. Scott, back to you. All right, let's give Paul a big round of applause. Thank you, Paul. All right, so we're unpacking uh, this word covenant today. Covenant, uh, a formalized agreement. And, and as we start, I just want to start you with a question. What's your status update with God? Like if you were to say, well, what's my status update? What, what are, how are God and I doing uh, you know, I don't know if you're a fan of emoji when you go to text. Any, any fans of emoji in the room? Like, I'm one of the few 42-year-old, yeah, you and me, all right? But you're not 42-year-old man. I'm the only 42-year-old man that, like, loves emoji because, you know, uh, how am I doing? Like, I could write a couple sentences or I could just blow you a kiss, right? Or, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of having, like, this crazy day, so maybe my tongue's out and my eye, like, this one symbol that means so much more. It's kind of actually ridiculous, right? Like it's, it's this single image that doesn't at all convey the complexity of how I'm actually doing or feeling. Sometimes I'll take that way out uh, just as a way of convenience. Well, what's our status update when we think about our relationship with God? So often we, we view our status with God in such simplistic ways. Well, how am I doing with God? Well, how did I behave this week? How, was I good? They get in trouble or not, you know, smiley face or, you know, oh, what's my status update with God? Well, you know, my, my circumstances right now have been kind of rough in my relationships, at school, uh, with my parents, with my kids, uh, you know, then you know, things with God are a little bit more up and down. It's like throwing a, an emoji symbol on something so much more complex. And the reality is God's people is that we are in a covenant relationship with God, where God wants us to be defined not by just the, the outward exterior of our behavior or the simplistic notion of, of how life is today or this week, but it's deeper than that. 
And from that deep sense of rootedness in a covenant relationship, God says, I want your behavior to flow out of that. God says, I am your God. You'll be my people. Now let's get going. And just as a point of emphasis, I want to say this, that your status with God is only dependent on Jesus' covenant with you. It's not dependent on your behavior. Can you hear that this morning? That your status with God, whatever answer you put in your head earlier, it's actually not up to you. It's actually not about your behavior or how much God you've been feeling or how many parking spaces opened up this week or, or whatever kind of emoji type simplistic notion. No, it's much bigger than that. Your status with God is guaranteed because of Jesus' covenant with you. We are covenant people. And so today we're going to talk about this aspect of the Christian life, about covenant relationship, and make a contrast between a contract-type life and a covenant-type life. And, and from there, I want you to have this big idea that the understanding of the covenant of God will help us move from worrying about our behavior to being secured in our belongings, God's people. And I believe when our focus moves from just behaving for God instead to belonging to Him, it changes the essence of our faith. We're not called to behave for God. We're called to be anchored in the knowledge that we belong to him and that all of our behavior flows from that place of security. So let's, let's look at the beginning. In this sermon series, we have those constant uh, sermon guides that are in the wings. There's also some at the prayer book here. But we've been following this four-part step week after week that there's this creation and then disruption and then ultimately hope and culmination. And that this, this four-part play keeps getting acted out in all these different themes in scripture today we're going to look at covenant look at genesis 2 we talk about the creation of the world and that we were made to be in a covenant relationship with god genesis 2 verse 15 to 17 the lord god took the man put him in the garden of eden to work it and take care of it and god commanded the man you're free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge for from you eat of it you'll die now, theologians call these verses the edenic covenant the covenant of eden where it's the first covenant spoken over us where god set us in the garden and he said now then behave this way and this way it actually is more of a contract than a covenant because we didn't keep our end of the bargain uh, hosea 6 the prophet hosea says this for i desire mercy not sacrifice an acknowledgement of god rather than burnt offerings as at Adam, they've broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me there. That Hosea verse is so important. God's saying, I don't care about your rituals. I don't care about your religion. I don't care if your behavior looks good. I want to be in relationship with you. And from that place of relationship, then we'll talk about behavior. But if you're just behaving for me, says God, it's not relationship. You're going through the motions. You're missing the point. We were created to be in a, in a covenant relationship. But in, in Eden there, there was you know, God saying, you know, I want you to be here, and if you behave this way, then you can stay. And we didn't live up to our side of the bargain. We didn't live up to our side of the, the contract. So a contract is conditional. A covenant is not. If you behave, then you'll live. And God says, well, they didn't make it. They were, though that was how I created them, they didn't live into that. Genesis 12, some 12 chapters later, God describes a different type of covenant. By now, God knows who he's working with. He sees our weaknesses as humanity. 
And he sets us in this true covenantal relationship. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, the Lord God said to Abram, this is before Abram was changed by God into Abraham, the Lord God said to Abram these words of covenant, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So there's a contrast between covenant and and a contract. Here in in Genesis 12, God speaks these words of of belonging into Abraham's life, into Abram's life. And he says, you will do these things. And and yeah, you'll, you'll have some behavior that flows out of it. I want your life to be lived as a blessing. But before that, I'll be your God, Abram. No matter what happens over here, as we, as we kind of set off on this journey of life, no matter what happens, I'm going to be for you. I'm going to be with you. In New Testament language, we know that God says, I'm going to be in you. And Abraham is still commanded to step out in faith, but the covenant given is guaranteed before Abram does anything. That's a covenant. A covenant is not dependent on behavior. So let's look at it like this. In a contract, if you buy a car, you buy a home, you get a job, it's a contract. The language of a contract is, is if language. If we fulfill our part of the bargain, then you'll fulfill your part of the bargain. Now that's the same, same general language on any good contract. It's 50-50. There, there's stipulations. And there's things saying that, that if I do my 50%, then you've got to do your 50%. That's what a good contract does. Both parties are, protect, are, protect, are protected. But in a covenant, covenants are different. Covenants say no matter what happens at the outflow, I'm going to be entirely present in this relationship 100% of the time. It's not 50-50, 100%. God says you be my people no matter what happens down the road. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be for you. That's a covenant. As theologian Greg Boyd, Benefit of the Doubt, he wrote this book called Benefit of the Doubt. He says this about the contrast between covenant and contract. The most basic difference between contract and covenant, says Boyd, is that a contract is a legal arrangement made between people, while covenant is a pledge of trust that involves the people themselves. People enter into covenants because they trust each other. They enter contracts precisely for the opposite. They don't trust each other. So what's your status in a covenant relationship with God? It's, it's solid, 100% of the time, solid. But it's my firm belief as I look at friends of mine that are doing the Christian life, so many of us get stuck thinking that we're in a contract with God. That if we don't fulfill our said duty, then God will withhold his blessing onto us. And it's not how it is. Now, we are in a covenant relationship with God 100% of the time. There's an article in, in Seattle Times in April from David Brooks, who's a columnist for the New York Times. It was all about covenants, actually. Pretty interesting, because for most of us, we don't use that language. But Brooks, in the spring, he talked about the power of covenants and how for so many of us that have grown up in kind of a post-covenant world, we don't know the value of commitment anymore. We see that in our marriages. We see that in our businesses. We see that in our politicians. But Brooks says this in this article called How Covenants Make Us. And in the article, he quotes the scholar Marsha Pauly who says this, when we go out and make a deal, we make a contract. When we're situated within something, it's because we've made a covenant. A contract protects interest, 
but a covenant protects relationships. A covenant exists between people who understand they're part of one another. It involves a vow to serve the relationship that is sealed by love. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. People in a contract provide one another service, but people in a covenant delight in offering gifts. Do you see it? Covenant protects relationships. This is so true for anyone in the room that's married. Because this can be kind of esoteric. And what are we really talking about here? But for married people in the room and singles, just wait a moment, I'll come back to you. But for people that have a ring on their finger, we've taken a covenant. We've taken a vow. We've stood before God and witnesses and we said, I will be faithful 100% of the time. No matter if it's a tough season. No matter if I'm tired of serving. No matter if my needs aren't being met. And if you're in a marriage this morning at times that grow stale, welcome to the club and then connect in the covenant and keep showing up. And not just weather the storm, but keep working towards the emotional health of your connection. You're in a covenant 100% of the time. Our marriages should be ministry. And for others in the room, like, oh, well, I'm glad that doesn't apply to me. I'm single. The reality is it's the church. We're in a covenant relationship with one another. I'm not a member of this church. I'm just kind of hanging. No, no, the church, God's people. We're in covenant with one another. God has told us that as his people, we're called to love each other. That your problems become my problems. And your needs become my needs. And so when I have needs, I know that you can carry some. We're called to need each other. And we're called and blessed in order to be a blessing. That we would look at a building on Aurora and say, there's more to do here. I'm going to buy a 12-ounce latte, but I'm going to stop and say hi to someone. Because in the health of one cup is our health. From their rent, we take, and all that money goes into local missions. And support the mission. I can't serve on Tuesday mornings. Fine, just pray for us. We're in the midst of an epidemic. We're in the midst of trying to be light in dark places. And I'll tell you, it's, there's seasons that feel more dark than light. Pray with us. It's just the beginning. Be a blessing in this neighborhood. You're like, well, this isn't my neighborhood. I live in Briar. I live in Muckleteo. We'll be a blessing there. We've been blessed and set in covenant in order that God would move through us. People would see us and say, there's power in Jesus. Too many of us get stuck in contract living. If God does this, then I'll do that. It's, it's a waste of our time. Now we're, we're people of a new covenant covered by the blood of Jesus. And as such, man, we, can, we can live with confidence there. So this is the creation of things. But we live in a disrupted world. We, we know that. We live in a Genesis 3 world where sin enters the world and continues to disrupt things. And so the covenant throughout the Old Testament, God keeps speaking the covenant to Noah in Genesis 9, to Abram in Genesis 15, to, to David, to Moses. There's a covenant. It's the same covenant. It's a covenant of relationship. It takes different forms and God asks different levels of obedience, but time and time and time again in the disrupted order of the Old Testament, humanity can't live into it. Because let's be honest, we can't live into it. If we're measured by our own strength, our own goodness, our own behavior, we're never going to live into it. 
So let's just set that aside and say, God, we're going to need you to live into it. And so this beautiful picture of covenant comes out of Genesis 15. And I love the Abraham story. There's this thing that happens in Genesis 15. You can read it this week. In it, it describes this process of cutting a covenant. Now, cutting a covenant 2,500 years ago would be two people enter a covenant relationship. This is a sacrificial system time. So they would literally take bulls and goats, they would, they would cut them in half, they would part the pieces, sorry the sermon just got a little PG-13, but you'd have these dead bloody pieces, but this is what it meant to cut a covenant. This is what it meant, that, like you're going to fulfill your word, you and me, we're going to st- do a covenant. And so I would state the oath, and then these bloody pieces, you would walk between the pieces. And then the other person would state their oath, and they would walk between the pieces. Why would they walk between the pieces? Because when you cut a covenant, it said, if I don't fulfill my word, may it happen to me what happened to those dead animals. So this is the, this is the, 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 the practice of cutting a covenant. But in, in the time of Abram, Abram is told he's going to be the father of many nations. And it's this beautiful picture. He goes out. He stands under the stars. God says, go outside and just look up. Abram, look up. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be the father as many as stars are in the sky. Because we all need reminding sometimes. And creation can just serve to remind us of the power of God. And that our lives are both insignificant and to God deeply significant. We've been talking about that during the sermon series. You can listen back a couple weeks. We as humanity, oh my life's insignificant. It's not to God. Your life has value. And your life has purpose. And there's a reason why you exist here on earth. In whatever form or fashion, addicted or clean, married or single, young or old, we're here. Our life is value. And so Abram stands under the night sky and he looks up. And then he says this. He says, yeah, but how can I know? God, how can I know that you're going to actually do what you said you're going to do? And God doesn't like slay him and turn him to dust. God's patient with him. Because all of us in the room, we all have these, God, how can I know moments? And so it says in Genesis 15 that Abram fell in a deep sleep, and then the pieces got parted to cut a covenant, and then someone walks between the pieces. Who walks between the pieces in Genesis 15? God does. While Abram sleeps. That's the covenant that we've been adopted into. That while we were still sleeping, why were we, why we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Remember in the New Testament, the disciples fall asleep and Jesus goes and cries. I mean, he, he walks between the pieces. He says, I will lay down my life as a ransom to many. And we live in disruption, but we are, we are testimony that God cares for us and that his life has purpose for us. And that we have this like covenant sealed in blood, sealed not by our own, but sealed by by Jesus. And so I want to say this to you this morning. I I want to say this thing and I want you to kind of think about it and I want you to receive it. That that as a church, that Christ doesn't want us to behave. He wants us to belong. Jesus doesn't want us to behave better. He wants us to belong to him. And from that place, we'll talk about behavior in a little bit, but it's not about behavior. It's not about not doing stuff. I was raised in a church that if I didn't smoke and I didn't drink and if I didn't have sex, then I would be a Christian. We were known by what we didn't do. Okay, stop the narrative of that. Christ doesn't call you to behave better. 
He wants you to belong to him. And from that place of intimacy, your behavior can flow out of it. So let's look at the hope that Christ calls us to, the new hope of a new covenant. This comes from Hebrews 10, uh, verse, sorry, verse, uh, Hebrews 8.10. It's contrast to the covenant of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the covenant in Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, This is the covenant I'll establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He's actually echoing something the prophet Jeremiah said, where God says through Jeremiah, I've tried all these covenants and humanity keeps failing. I'm just going to write it on their hearts. And so in our hearts, we know that Jesus is for us. And that's why when you pray for people, like you want to do really good evangelism in your school, in your workplace, at the junction, in your neighborhood, just pray for people. Because hurting people never say no to the power of prayer. And people are like, man, I, my, my life's torn up. And you just say, I'm going to pray for you. You have no idea how powerful that is to shape the testimony of other people. We can pray for people and help carry their weight in the midst of whatever their journey says. And so God says in the new covenant of Christ, it's our current status. We have a promise of eternal inheritance. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's why as Christians we talk so much about the blood of Jesus. Not because we're sadistic. But because in, in, in Jesus' death, our life is free. Because of who Jesus is, and he died on a cross and came alive at Super Bowl Sunday for Christian, otherwise known as Easter morning, we, we have freedom. That's why we talk about the cross. We're covered by the blood of the Lamb. And because Jesus died, we have life. This is good news for us. Romans 5, 9, Paul writes, since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Our hope in a new covenant living is living like Jesus and being adopted into relationship by Jesus. This is the hope of Christ we proclaim even when our behavior fails, even when we don't look like the covenant of Christ, even when we struggle, this is what it looks like to have the hope of Jesus. Say, I had a horrible covenant day yesterday, but Jesus, will you wake me up? Will you remind me and will you change me so that my life will be lived as a blessing to others? These are the good news stories that come out of the junction. This guy came up and he's like, man, you know, before this place, I was addicted, I was lonely, I didn't have a place. Now I know there's rules for me. And I can come and I can get a cup of coffee and I feel safe here. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, the day before I came here, I had a needle sticking out of my arm. But now Jesus is doing a new work in me. And I don't even know yet what I believe about faith. Is it okay if I keep hanging out here? Oh, yeah. Keep hanging out. Because God is for you. And we're going to celebrate that you're clean. And we want you to eventually call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But we're going to do it in relationship. This is the hope of Christ. And ultimately, it's not about Bethany. It's not about Bethany North. It's not about a leader. It's not about certain volunteers. It's what Jesus wants to do in us and through us. In, in that place, in, in these places in our heart, and in all of our neighborhoods. And so how does the story end? How does this culminate? Revelation 22 says this. This is the eternal state for us as humanity. We will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. And there'll be no more night. And there'll be not need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. This is great news. 
That at the end of these dark and dreary days, at the end of these political cycles, at the end of a confusing life, we will see Jesus face to face. And this is wonderful news because I've already told you this morning, your behavior doesn't matter. So let's, let's go crazy, right? Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's start a DVD series, Christians Gone Wild. We just need a producer and let's, let's do this thing. Let's light this candle, right? Well, the reality is this. Your behavior flows from your place of belonging in relationship. And so if you're having problems in behavior with a child or you're having problems with your parents, or you know, it's not about the behavior. It's about the relationship. Start there. At the end of the, at the, end of the deal here, it's, no, Jesus doesn't want us with needles in our arms. He doesn't want us addicted to pornography. He doesn't want us angry and bitter. Our behavior actually matters a great deal. Because in the freedom of our relationship with Christ, Jesus is like, don't do this stuff that is just going to break your heart. Don't do it. But Jesus says, I care more about your behavior. I, I care about your heart. So let me have your heart, and let's start there, and then we'll talk about behavior modification down the road. Deal? Deal. This is the culmination of Christ, that our behavior is rooted in our view of God. And Jesus is constantly calling us back to a place to remember, you belong to me. Now let's change the way that that looks in your lifestyle, and you're raising your kids, and your job, and you're staying at homeness. You belong to me. From that place of security, I want to remind you, your behavior does matter a great deal, because you belong to me. The end of our days, we will see Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see only reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall now fully, even as I am fully known. What a beautiful picture of what we're heading for. And so in conclusion, let's just get practical for a moment. What does it look like to get practical? How does this mean something in us? What's our status update with God? I want more than emoji. I want more than behavior. God, I don't want to have a, contract, a contractual relationship with you. I know I'll never fulfill my end of the bargain. I want to be secured in a covenant relationship. I want that, I want that fire of Jesus inside of me. You know, when we meet with prayer team people, they often say the two biggest things that people come forward for prayer here, here at North, at Green Lake, at other campuses, two biggest things they ask for prayer for. Number one, fear. Number two, shame. And in many ways, we hear the voice of fear and shame in us, and it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. The enemy accusing us, you're never going to live into your side of the bargain, so just do whatever feels right. Jesus saying, cast the fear and the shame aside and get busy with calling yourself the beloved. You're in a covenant relationship with me, so live into it and help us at the junction and live into it in your school and live into it in the marketplace. And we are imperfect people, but we know a perfect God and may we model a relationship with Jesus that's bigger than behavior covenant nothing's going to take that away and i learned this personal like kind of the more than emoji living and kind of the covenant relationship it, it becomes really personal for me as a father and if you, you don't have kids it's okay um, 
I need to share this story. It's a personal one for me. I've got a newsflash for you. I'm actually a very sinful person. I'm not perfect in any regard. And so you might be shocked to know that sometimes I fight with my children. Please pray for me. All right? Uh, we, we were taking this long road trip. And, and we got to Utah, uh, to the canyon lands of Utah. We'd driven hard all day because I'm a maniac on road trips. You don't want to travel with me. And so we're like, no, we've got to get to the trailhead. And we get out of the rig, and it's 100 stinking degrees. And I'm going to take my kids five miles up a canyon because this makes sense in my head. And so we, we start out on this hike, and we've got a destination, and we're clear. This is where we're going. And my kid's like, hey, can we stop and play in the street? Like, no, no time to stop. No time to actually have fun. We're going to get to the end of this trailhead. And there was, there was like a rationale. So please just have some grace for me as your pastor. But, you know, there's this rationale. And, and we made it to the, to the end. 100 degrees, five miles. I'm packing the, kid, the four-year-old. My, my hip still hurts from it, you know. But we, we make it to the head of the canyon. And then we turn to get out. And we start heading back down the canyon. And a fight breaks out between my family, between my son and I. Because we were really tired I've been pushing him really hard, and I've been kind of a downer, and I didn't let him have a lot of fun. And, and we, we're like yelling at each other. We're like that family on the trailhead. We're like now yelling at each other. And he says, you know, fine. You know, sometimes I feel like I don't even belong in this family. And he takes off down the trail. He takes off running. And I asked his permission to share this morning because we're all good now. And actually, I have to pay the kids $5 if I use them in a sermon example. So... <laughs> This is cool. They're totally down with it, actually. <laughs> so he heads down the trail, and I'm like, you know, and then I'm just like, I got to go get that kid. I can't have him for a moment longer wondering if he belongs to my family or not. And so I take off running, and this isn't me the hero story, because I'd been kind of a jerk. But I grabbed him, and we're just, I mean, we're just like at each other, and I just said, you are my son and nothing you can do or say will ever remove you from this relationship and it took some time but we forgave each other we said sorry and we got back to learn how to be in a family and i don't know where you're at on the trail this morning where you're the kid in that story that just feels like you're running and just needs someone to come running but you belong to a savior who always comes for you Sick or poor, young or old, he's coming for you. Allow yourself to stop and be found. And some of you in this morning, you're, you know, you're the parent in that story. And this is hitting you because of things going on with your kids or your parents or something between you or God. And that means I'm out of time. That's really awkward. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and stop that. I don't even know how to do that. Wow. I had you right there and then I lost you. <laughs> Put yourself in the story. It's a covenant relationship and not a contract. Your status this morning, you're good. You're solid. And God is for you. And he wants your behavior to be lived in response to that. Blessed to be a blessing in all the places he sends you. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for moments as a church to open your scriptures and remind us of what kind of relationship we find ourselves in. And Father, we know the temptation to be contract living, but it's, it's short-sighted. We'll never get there on our own power. So we know, as your people, we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Father, allow us in, in the hours that follow, in the week ahead, in the weeks that flow from that, 
to be people of covenant relationships, secured by what you've done for us. May we belong to you, Lord. In your great name we pray. Amen. As we close in worship this morning, as always, there's prayer team people down front. There's some prayer books in the middle. Or or maybe just in the stillness of your seat. I want to encourage you to put yourself in the story this morning. And child running, father standing, covenant versus contract. What's your status with God? What is the way in which God wants to speak to you this morning? He wants you to know that he loves you and he's for you. And he wants your life to be lived in response to that awesome fact. Will you stand with us as we continue in song?